Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Zella made a beat, so it's go time. Everybody and happy opening day. The season is finally back. The Memphis Grizzlies will be facing off against the Miami Heat tonight. And it's just great to be back. And because of that, the core four is here bringing hot takes only. And there's no, no hot takes without my co host, Nathan, the champion, Chester. Nate, how's it going? How can I not be doing good? It's the opening night of the season, man. Absolutely. Even if uh, Christmas does not start until tomorrow, we still got a nice little lineup. But I have to say, considering the circumstances, not only did Kawhi Leonard leave the Raptors, they don't have their best player from last year, and Zion is going to miss six to eight weeks of his uh, meniscus tear. Is this the worst opening, the first the worst first game on opening night in NBA history? I mean, not really. I, I wouldn't think so. I I'm trying to think over the last few years. I think Sixers Celtics was the very first one last year. And then maybe, I don't know. It just, they, the matchups definitely seem more marquee than this to start off with. But I'm here for basketball. I am here for basketball. And so, just to start our hot takes, so we're only going to present four, two from me, two from Nate, and we've talked about this a little bit before the pod, and so we're going to intertwine these. We both have bold predictions on who's going to fall out of the rotation this season, and Nate, I'm going to let you start. I'm going to start with one that I think you've heard some people muttering about on Twitter, and I know it's been brought up in our group text. Kyle Anderson. Now, Kyle has the potential after this year to be one of the bad contracts on this team. It'll be really the first bad contract that King Kleiman has to deal with, but it's only fitting that he wasn't the one who signed Kyle Anderson to this contract. But he's got three years left on this deal, and 
if you could go back in time, he obviously fit with Mike Conley and Marcus Saul and the team that they were trying to make last year. And he was very good uh, the first couple months of the season. But the style of play that Taylor Jenkins is trying to instill in these young Grizzlies, the pace in space, playing at a fast pace, that's not Kyle Anderson. That's not what he does. For a guy whose nickname since his time at UCLA has been slow-mo, he doesn't exactly fit the pace and space philosophy. And that's not the way he played at San Antonio. Uh, and last year he was there. Uh, you're kind of running through a system that had Kawhi Leonard and LaMarcus Aldridge. That's not a very, very fast-paced style of play that Spurs like to play. And I have to think that even when the Spurs uh, were title contenders in 2012, 2013, in that time period, I don't think Kyle Anderson would have fit well with that group anyway. He fits a very specific mold on a very specific team. And he's a good player when he is in the right situation and the right, and the right team. But I'm not sure if he's going to fit with this current iteration of the Memphis Grizzlies. And as for my hot take... It will not at all surprise me to see his minutes dramatically reduced and even see him fall out of the rotation by the season's end. You know, it's a very tricky situation with Kyle Anderson because, like you said, last year he was very—he was really good. Um, by the metrics, he's a very good defender. He's a super efficient shooter as far as just, like, scoring. He's, like, he's not going to go bomb threes. He's not going to go drop 20 a night. But he'll get you 10 points just by scoring around the paint. But also, his fit on this team is, like you said, super weird. Because I don't think he fits in at the three. He can't space the floor enough to do that. I know Coach Jenkins has said over the course of the preseason that he's looking to transition Kyle Anderson to the four. And that's nice and all. But it all also comes down to, does Brandon Clark... Can he play small ball five? Because also, I would rather play Brandon Clark over Kyle Anderson because we've already seen the Grizzlies are making it a big effort to make this not just Jaron and Jaw. They want to make it Jaron, Jaw, Brandon Clark. So you got to play Brandon Clark. And if he's better at the four, you play him at the four. And then maybe if Bruno Caboclo is good at the five, too, that, that may push Kyle Anderson out of the rotation because it obviously slides Brandon Clark down to the four. So it's really weird. And yes, I agree. I think he might be, he might fall out of the rotation. We'll see. In the modern NBA, with the way the game is played, uh, we talk about small ball fours, which is exactly the type of role that Taylor Jenkins seems to envision for Kyle Anderson. But what do small ball fours usually have in common? What type of skill set? What are they good at? They can shoot. Yeah. And that's simply not something that Kyle Anderson provides on a consistent basis. He did show a little more of an inclination and willingness to let it fly in the preseason. And that was very much a pleasant surprise, especially in light of his comments at media day in which he basically no one thought he was healthy and no one thought he was even going to play in the preseason. So it was a welcome surprise to see him play then and also be as willing of a shooter as he was but he simply doesn't fit the mold of someone that you want consistently playing small ball for, whether that's in the starting lineup or off the bench. And I remember riding over the summer, and I think if this were to happen, and I don't think it's going to happen this year, and if it did, it wouldn't happen until the end of the year. 
Brandon Clark is coming to be a starter, I think, sooner than some people might expect. Now, I think Valanchunas will keep that role locked down for all of this year, but you could see it in preseason. He's a borderline elite rebounder already, a very skilled scorer in the paint, a freak athlete. And I think a, a play against Trey Lyles against the Spurs in preseason, I think it demonstrated as well as anything else that I saw. Dude is just a freak defensively. What he lacks in strength, he makes up for in his length and quickness. And he can ju- even power forwards who are larger than he is, like Trey Lyles, he can just harass them. And that's a guy that's very difficult to keep off the court, especially in light of the way the Grizzlies want to play. So when you're coming to try to find minutes for either Kyle Anderson or Brandon Clark coming off the bench, who are you going to pick? Yeah. I can I, I totally see that, and honestly, I remember over the summer I was about to write a big feature on why Kyle Anderson should be the team's backup point guard because this was around the time where Deon, uh, Delon Wright signed his offer sheet with Dallas, and then right before I clipped submit, they signed Tyus Jones, and I feel like that would have been the perfect role for Kyle Anderson. And who knows? I think his best shot at staying in the rotation is Jonas Valanciunas moving down to being the sixth man, like the backup five, which would then slide Brandon Clark up to the starting four and Jaron Jackson to the starting five. But this is a whole another conversation. Yeah, yeah. Jaron Jackson's not ready for the five. No. So he was very – and, again, it was a preseason. The regular season hasn't started. You're getting used to your third coach in three years. But Jaron did not look comfortable at the five in preseason, not at all. It's going right, to take right. time. It's going to take time for he's ready to take on that role, and frankly, it probably won't even be this year. And so, Nate, I have another player that I think may fall out of the rotation. I think I know who you're going to say. I don't think you do, because it is the man, the myth, the six-part series, oh, Dylan no. Brooks. How can you possibly get on here? After two summers ago, you write a six-part series about how Dylan Brooks is going to be an elite role player, and here you are just over a year later saying that he's going to fall out of the rotation. Do you know how big of a hit against your credibility that is? Allow me to explain myself. This This has to be a hill that you choose to die on. Well, just saying, this is also a hot take. True. So... Here's my thing, and, you know, I try not to use preseason as a massive indicator. It was just, I always try to use preseason just like, oh, okay, I'm going to just keep an eye on this. Kind of like what you, you've done as well. You just use preseason to, like, keep your eye on stuff. And so my thing with Dylan Brooks, in his rookie season, he averaged 3.1 rebounds, 1.6 assists, which – Kind of gave me the indication, like, okay, playing with better players where he can do more in that role of, you know, being a secondary playmaker and being a rebounder. Who knows? He can maybe be that, you know, like 12, 5, and 3 guy, which is a very good elite role player. But over the course of the preseason, he's averaged 1.2 rebounds and 0.6 assists, 0.6 steals, and 1.4 turnovers. Is that bad? This man, 
that I've been dying to see become a Danny Green is looking more like an, a Nick Young, both on and off the court, a different story. You know what um, I've thought of when I've been watching him, and this is not certainly not something we've heard whispers about or like any type of news about, but you know what I fear him becoming? Who? He could be a chemistry killer. Just think about it. He's not adding anything outside of scoring, which he doesn't even do efficiently. He takes a lot of long twos, and a big part of that is he lacks the foot quickness and ball handling ability to create space for himself easily, so he has to settle for fadeaway jump shots that are not efficient, that are not great shots to take. Um, defensively, he's not an impact player. He's behind both Grayson Allen and Anthony Melton in that regard. He doesn't rebound. Uh, whether he can't pass or he chooses not to is up for debate, but obviously he doesn't get assists. So what does he provide for the team outside of efficient scoring? And no one likes a gunner that is not good at anything else, including shooting and scoring. Yeah, and so that's been, that's been my thing in preseason that I've kind of just like taken note of, where Dylan, when his shot's off, he's not providing value. Whereas Grayson Allen, he's making hustle plays defensively, and he's also getting others involved offensively, both in the half court and in transition. Marco Gugaric, he just won't force anything as far as when his shot's off. He's just going to either put the ball on the floor and create plays, or he's just going to keep the ball moving. But then again, if Marco Gugaric is not shooting the ball, he should not be playing. Different conversation, though. And then DeAnthony Melton, he'll miss the first 25 games. But last season, as a rookie, he already proved himself to be one of the most elite defenders in the game. And so, like, if all those guys can do that when they can't score, when their shot's off, and Dylan's not providing anything else, what's the point? You can control what you can control. And what you can control is your efforts in all areas of the game. And Dylan may not be a good rebounder. He may not be a good passer. And frankly, despite what some people might think, I did not think he was even a good defender during his rookie season. Bickerstaff would throw him in the fire and give him some of the tougher matchups. But just because you guard some of the more difficult matchups doesn't inherently mean that you're a good defender. It just means you get beat up a lot. But at the end of the day, if he wants to be a consistent member of the rotation and he wants to become a good, consistent role player on this team, the way that all of us envisioned two years ago, he's got to put more effort into other areas of the game. Because, like I said, he may not be great in those areas, but not averaging a rebound per game. And what was he averaging? 25 minutes a game in preseason? Something like that. But his assist turnover ratio was almost two turnovers for every assist. That's effort. That's effort. Those are things that you can control as far as the turnovers and the assists. That's just called being a ball stopper. You don't have to be a good passer to be like Marco Guterich and keep the ball moving and keep the offense flowing, but he's a ball stopper. The ball will swing over to him and he'll try to do entirely too much, and it often leads to a bad shot or a turnover. And I'm sure I could find plenty of film for an article about that if I chose to do so. But Dylan is going to have to figure out what his role is, and I, he seems to think that he's going to be a 15 to 16 points per game scorer on this team. Doesn't mean he can't go off for 30 or 35 on any given night like he did against the Thunder last week. But be a glue guy. That's what you are. You're not one of the stars on this team, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if he right. doesn't realize that, then your hot take's going to end up being right. 
Yep. And so it just comes down to the fact that, I mean, even if you could just be like Courtney Lee, that'd be perfect. That'd be sensational. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to take a quick ad break, but on the other side, we'll finish up with our last two hot takes. Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. And so, Nate, I'm going to lead on with this hot take because I want to end spicy. And I feel like you got the spiciest take to end with because I don't even know it. And that's when it's scariest. (laughs) All right. You ready? Yeah, hit me with. So I think that not only will a Memphis Grizzly enter the slam dunk contest, but they will win the slam dunk contest. The Memphis Grizzly, you just mean John Morant, right? I think Grayson Allen could, too. Just because he won one back in high school doesn't mean he's going to in the NBA. No, no, dude. I've seen his dunks and warm-ups. Like, this dude's going, like, 360 with ease. He's doing the behind-the-backs dunks, like, all that. Like, the dude's got springs. Can if I he get- enters the dunk contest and he's killing it, He's got that Grayson Allen clout where it's like, oh, dude, you see what he's doing? Like, especially with Zion. Can I get you on the record saying it's more likely that Grayson Allen will win the slam dunk competition than John Morant? No, I think John John Morant is the more likely one. I really do. But I said a Memphis Grizzly, and I think it could be John Morant or Grayson Allen. But John Morant is more likely. Fart. I think right. I'm trying to go down the list of guys, young players, not even just rookies who can compete with them. And I really, John is the front runner for slam dunk contest. And we've seen him have some nice dunks in the preseason, but what he'll be able to do by himself, like he does in warmups and some of the clips you'll see on Twitter and YouTube, you really haven't seen anything yet. That's what I mean. So. That's my hot take, at least. I think not only will a Memphis Grizzly will enter the slam dunk contest, because we've only had two in franchise history, Hakeem Warwick and Rudy Gay, and they did not win. I think John Morant or Grayson Allen, more likely John Morant, I don't want you twisting my words here, (laughs) will win the slam dunk contest. I dig it. I dig it. It's very much a hot take, but it's fun. Now, I have a little bit more of a serious hot take here, and it's just something we got done arguing over for an hour. Oh, God. Oh, you're ready for this. Now, granted, this is a preseason observation. This is based off what I saw from last year. Like we talked about earlier, preseason's the time for observation, just to keep things in mind. I'm not saying this needs to be the case right now. not saying it needs to be the case a couple weeks from now. Just something to keep in mind. But here is a hot take that I have that Taylor Jenkins should do. But I'm not saying I necessarily believe that he should do this. Are you ready? Sure. 
Taylor Jenkins should consider using Jaron Jackson as more of a traditional four than the more modern big man he seems to envision him as. Now, the reason why I say that, well, first off, let's talk about Jaron's strengths for a second. He has supreme footwork, like far greater than we ever thought he was going to have in his first or second year in the league. He also has a great touch around the rim. He finishes around the basket very well. Um, Obviously, getting him some post-up opportunities where he could show off his impressive footwork and impressive touch around the rim would be beneficial to him. It'd help him get easier looks, help him get close to the basket. And so let's move over to the other side of this question here a little bit. And I noticed this through watching a ton of film from preseason as you really got into the games. And Jenkins has so much as said this that he envisions Jaron Jackson as a Giannis-type player. And maybe Jaron Jackson can become that caliber of a player. I think he'll end up being a top 10 or 15 player in the league. But while there's some similarities there, Jaron Jackson and Giannis are not the same type of player because Jaron is a very advanced ball handler for a seven-foot big man, but he's still not a guard. So in Jenkins' five-out offense, they were trying to implement in uh, uh, training camp in preseason, we saw Jaron playing almost exclusively on the perimeter, and he was able to find some success. He was able to knock down some threes, uh, beat some slower big men off the dribble, but I don't think it's quite maximizing his skill set to use him as a ball handler breaking down defenders off the dribble from three to four feet beyond the three-point line. I'm just not sure that's the correct way to maximize him, at least at this stage of his career. And one of the weaknesses that he currently has, now again, as we already discussed earlier, he's young, he's 20, he's growing, he's developing. And as good as he is now, he still has a long way to go. And I think he's going to be absolutely incredible once he's done developing and gets to the peak of his prime. But one of the weaknesses he has right now is he has no in-between game. He's a good three-point shooter. He's good at finishing in the paint. But he doesn't have a mid-range game. He doesn't have a floater. He doesn't really have anything to keep the defense honest at 15 feet. So when Jenkins is using him in a five-out offense – and Jackson is trying to break down his defender off the dribble, the problem he was running into in preseason, and you saw a little bit of this from last year, is that the big man who's guarding him plays so far off of him, like Steven Adams in the Thunder game was standing almost in the restricted area when he was guarding Jackson, and because Jackson has no threat to pull up from the mid-range area or to take a floater, It's making his drives and his finishing at the rim that much more difficult because of how far his defender is playing off of him. And the way I think you counteract that right now might be to use him as more of a traditional big man, still put him in pick and roll, still run pick and pops to where he can flare out to the three-point line, shoot threes, and create for himself in the right situations. But look for him to get the ball closer to the rim to help counteract some of the weaknesses that he has at this stage of his career. I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not even convinced that's what should happen. Again, we only saw, was it five, six games in preseason, and Jenkins is a far better basketball mind than I am, and we don't even know, we haven't even gotten to the crevices of what kind of player Jaron Jackson's going to be. But just a hot take, just something to keep in mind. Yeah, but... Like I argued with earlier, 
I think there's going to be a little bit more to Jaron's game than just really being on the perimeter or even just being a post traditional big man. I think for one, like you had said, he had that trouble against Steven Adams, just playing off him and just force him to have an in-between game. But it's going to be a lot more beneficial when he's playing on the court with Jonas Valanciunas as a four, because he's not going to have to be dealing with, you know, the Steven Adamses or the, Joel Embiid's or Nikola Jokic's of the world where he's criminally undersized. He's going to be dealing with a lot more fours that are his size so he can use that strength to then go from the face-up to a post game to use his body and that elite footwork and that nice touch around the rim to score in the paint. And then I also think there's going to be a lot more of Jaron attacking out of the role in the half court with John Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr., maybe to where we can see him both become a better in-between player, not just as a scorer, but as a passer, because they're really preaching that, like, let it fly, dribble drive, motion offense. And also, too, I want him shooting a lot of threes. And like you you said earlier, in preseason, he's shot, shot a lot more threes. Last season, with less spacing and far less touches, Jaron Jackson Jr. shot about 35-36% on about 2.6 attempts per game. I think with better looks, more touches, and just a more spaced out system, there's no reason to debate whether or not he can get that up to you know, five attempts a game and shooting it at a 38-39% clip. And that right there would just even do wonders for his game. So yeah. that's just an observation. Yeah, still a long way to go. There's still plenty of more observations to be made. Absolutely. And so the premise of the Core 4 podcast is to keep it you know, a nice 25, 30-minute podcast for you to listen to on your way to work, on your way to class, or when you're just trying to procrastinate. So with that, Nate, do you have anything else to add? I really don't. Um, I'm excited for the season to start, and we'll try to watch a good amount of both games tonight. And I know we'll be all watching the Grizzlies tomorrow. Absolutely. And so if you are listening on either Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, or wherever you listen to this show, please follow, subscribe, write a review, send it to your friends, gas us up because we believe in treating your homies like kings. And so you can find me on Twitter, at Paca underscore Faka. Find the blog on Twitter, at SBN Grizzlies. A lot of great content going up on Grizzly Bear Blues. And then also follow the Core 4 on Twitter, at the Core 4 Podcast, with the number four, not the word four. And Nate, where can everyone find you? You can find me on Twitter, at Big Nate Chester. Nope, nope, nope. nope. Oh, I keep forgetting. Howard. If you you got to keep catching me on stuff like this because I'm a grown adult now. You can find me on Twitter at Nathan Chester twenty four. Is that what it is? Yeah, Nathan Chester twenty four. Okay, Nathan Chester twenty four. Kind of sad. I don't know my own social media handle, but that's showbiz, baby. Yep. And Nate, do you want to have the honors? Oh, all right. That's all, folks. <laughs>